Praise the Lord. Let's just pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your awesome presence this morning. We thank you, Lord, for, Lord, the way, Lord Jesus, that you have ministered, Lord, and for, Lord, preparing the way for your word this morning, Lord Jesus. Lord, and I just pray, Lord, that, Lord, we would open our ears, that we would open our hearts, Lord Jesus, for what you would speak to us this morning, Lord Jesus. May, Lord, you have your will in your way, Lord Jesus. May, Lord, Lord, we be open, Lord, to your word, Lord Jesus, Lord, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Please turn to 1 Kings chapter 12, and we'll start from verse 1. We're looking at a time where Solomon um, was, was dead, I believe, and the kingdom was passing from King Solomon to the next generation. And we pick up our story here. The, the person that would normally be chosen was Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. First Kings chapter 12 and verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel will come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. Solomon had taxed the people quite heavily. Solomon had um, caused people to be put into service for making the temple and making his house and, and other buildings and, and for many works. And Solomon had put a heavy burden upon the people. And the congregation was saying, um, lift that off us, make it lighter, and we will serve you. Everyone will serve you with one heart. And he said unto them, depart yet for three days and come again to me. So he deferred them. He wanted to think about it and consider what to do. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, and said, How do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto the people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him, and which stood before him, and he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may enter this people, who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us later? And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. So saying, The littlest part of, of me will be worse uh, will be harder than what Solomon did. He was, he, they were saying to basically um, make the tribute, make the, the service, make everything harder for them. And now whereas my father delays you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father has chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. So he'd received two counsels. 
One from the old man, one from the, the man who had been with Solomon, the, the, the man who had been uh, with his father, and also the, the man that he'd grown up with, the, the youths of that time. He got two different counsels from these two different generations. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old man's counsel that they gave him and spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made our yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. He just repeated word for word the counsel of what the young men had told him to do. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah the Shilonite unto Jeroboam the son of Nabat. And what happened was Israel all forsook him. They went to his tents and he was only king over Judah and Benjamin. So we have two different generations uh, being referred to here. One, the old man, the man who had been there before, the man who had seen it all before, the man who knew what had happened um, in times past and they knew the best way to go. And the, the, the second generation, the new generation, which was the ones that didn't know everything that had come before, the ones that had their own ideas, the ones that had their own uh, preconceptions about the way that things should be done. And Rehoboam was of that same uh, era. He was a man that, that wanted to do things the way that he thought they should be done. That's why he forsook the, the wisdom of the old man, because he had it in his head um, just like the rest of his generation, of the way in which the things should be done, in the way in which um, the kingdom should go, in the way in which they should follow. It seems that each new generation that rises up wants to rebel or do things differently to the generation before it. We can look at the generation around us and think that it's relevant and the way that everything should be done. And this thinking can come into the church as well. When we look at the world around us, we see a very different time and lifestyle to the world of the Bible. Knowledge and technology has increased dramatically and exponentially. It's just uh, blown out of proportion just how fast everything has changed and technology and, and knowledge and the way that we understand this world and this universe around us is just blown incredibly quickly uh, over the, the past even few years, past 30 years, past 50 years, it's just gotten more and more of what we know and what we understand about the human body, about the world around us, about the way things are. Our forms of transport have changed many times from the times of the Bible, from horses, donkeys and carts and sailing ships to carriages, cars, trains, tankers, cargo ships and aeroplanes. The ways we interact socially has changed as well, from face-to-face -face conversations and letters in the old days to telephone calls, telegraphs, faxes, emails, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And the list of computer applications keeps growing on what seems to be a daily basis. Different ways to interact and communicate with people. The socially accepted norms have also radically changed from the times of the Bible due to mankind's continuing rejection of God, his ways and his morals. What was considered sin to... Uh, to God in the normal societies of the time is now considered to be natural and normal way of living right now. Couples living together outside of marriage is accepted as normal and natural by our society today. 
Homosexuality is accepted as a lifestyle choice and actively pushed by media and a growing number of people as normal and a free choice to everybody. The mantras of ages and eras have changed to be more and more wicked. From the if it feels good, do it slogan of the 1960s and 1970s to the more modern version, they can do what they like as long as it's not hurting anybody else. So whatever you choose to do is fine as long as it's not actively hurting somebody else. I heard that argument being used just the other day, Thursday or Friday. You know, whatever they're doing, well, that's fine. I don't agree with it. I, I, don't, I don't particularly want to do that myself. But, you know, as long as it's not hurting anybody, that's, that's fine. It's fine. You can get a sex change, and that's perfectly fine and acceptable by a modern society. It's not hurting anybody else, right? But what about the psychological scarring on their husband, their wife, their children, their parents, their relatives, who don't know which way is up, who um, don't understand what's going on? In this world today, you can practice satanic rituals, and it's all right. No one else is being hurt, right? What about the thousands or millions of other people who see what you're doing and become bolder to do the same things? It's no wonder that our society is on a complete downward spiral morally. You see, evolution teaches us that it's the survival of the fittest out there and that might makes right. Evolution teaches us that there is no absolute morality, that morality is situation-based and is what society makes it to be. See, evolution discounts the fact that there's a God, that there's something um, static, something that's, that's there, something that, um, that there, there is a, a moral, that there is a way to walk, that there is a God that we should follow, and completely rejects that. And so when you completely reject God and his morals, then you've got nothing to stand on. You've got no central point. You've got nothing to build from um, or... Uh, judge against to say that is right and that is wrong. And so evolution teaches us that anything is fine so long as society makes it acceptable. That's very handy for someone in power to excuse themselves for the wickedness that they do themselves and encourage other people to do the same thing. It's no wonder that crimes continues to increase with more and more people jumping on the bandwagon. You see, the media sensationalizes the crimes and the lifestyles of this world and gives people ideas on how to live and make a name for themselves. It used to be the case that sins and crimes were covered up as much as possible by families and even societies to reduce the shame. But now it's all open slather. Everything goes and everything's fair game for news. You only have to look at the news to, to read a newspaper to find out the sorts of things that go on and more and more as time goes on. Impressionable people, especially teens, start to get ideas of doing these things themselves, especially as they see more and more people doing them. It becomes something that becomes growing and swelling and, and they, they, it almost becomes an accepted norm. Their argument is, is there, if everyone else is doing it, then why not me? It seems like everyone else my age is doing it. Well, I might as well do it as well. I might as well try it out. They can excuse what they're doing internally and help to encourage others to go the same way as well. And eventually, society recognizes these sins or crimes as acceptable because everyone's doing it.
And all of this is because there's no absolute morality anymore. There's no moral rudder to steer rulers, nations, or people. People have been taught to have their own morality. And, that it, and if that's different to someone else's morality, that's okay. In fact, we're being pushed to agree with everybody else's morality, so long as they're not hurting anybody else. Our society, like no other, has no time for the past. Everything is pushed to be up-to-date and relevant to our society. The methods of schooling and parenting have changed to accommodate this. Old novels, plays and movies are changed and relaunched to make them relevant to our society so that our society will accept them. Otherwise, they are left in the past as being old-fashioned, outdated and antiquated. Even the novels, plays and movies that are regarded as classics are considered by our society to belong to a different time. They're no longer relevant unless they're given a new makeover. It's got to be, be uh, new and modern and fresh for our society to even think about it, to even accept it anymore. Games are updated for the modern era, whether they be board games, for example, Monopoly Millionaire, which is a shorter version um, of, of the game, computer games or sports, for example, 2020 Cricket. It, it's shorter. It's more easy to watch. Rules are changed. New technologies are introduced to make the game more palatable to our current society and our attention span. There is no respect for the past for those who have gone before us like no other time or age before now. It used to be that people respected their elders and ancestors and held them in high regard. Their teachings and their wisdom were held with respect and with reverence. They had gone before, they had done the hard yards, and what they had to say was important. But we are taught to always challenge the status quo, to always push the boundaries in the name of progress. After all, all of the great inventions today were found by pushing the boundaries, by doing things that had never been done before. So, according to that way of thinking, it must follow that we as a society need to push the social and moral boundaries as well to truly progress as a human race. These are the philosophies that our modern society are following today. And people are, are blinded today. They believe that... that our society is the most sophisticated of any society that has ever been. They believe that we're more tolerant today than we've ever been. They believe that we're improving um, on uh, our society, our way of living is improving from day to day, but they can't see what has been lost. They believe that anything before this age has no relevance to us. It's not modern. It's not applicable to us anymore. So in this world, this society, and this environment that is so far away in both time and acceptable normality, where do we fit the Bible and God? In our society, the Bible seems to be increasingly old-fashioned, out of date, and irrelevant. Many people would try to push church, the Bible, and God into a corner and label it out of date, no longer relevant to our society, or the age that we live in. They would point to the antiquated moral system that doesn't fit in with modern living. 
they would cite new supposed evidences that God doesn't exist or isn't concerned with changing people in the way described in the Bible. They would point to problems within some churches such as hypocrisy or double standards as proof that the ways of God are no better than the world around us. Some churches have gone so far as to make themselves so similar to society, to the society around them that you can hardly tell the difference between a saint and a sinner anymore. James 4 and 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So these churches that try to make themselves uh, as, like the world, as much like the world and society as possible, they're the enemy of God. They're not a church at all. They're basically the world. But the truth is that God, the Bible, and the church has never been more relevant than it is today to a society like ours. The change that God brings when a person repents, is baptized in Jesus' name, and is filled with the Holy Ghost, is even more marked and noticeable than in any other age in history. Of course, this change is also against our society's rules of making sure that you always fit in. It seems that almost everybody is accepted within society except for those that truly want to follow God. That shouldn't be a surprise to us. In John 15 and 18, it says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. You see, it was the same back in the days of the apostles as well. The world had their own system. The world had their own way of living, and they rejected the ways of God. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ bridges the generation gap between the times of the Bible and our generation today. Jesus is still saving and completely changing sinners just like the way he did back in the New Testament and in the same way that he did in the New Testament. There is no difference to the power of God today. It's not diminished. It's not non-existent. But God is still powerful and working and moving by his spirit in this world today. The power of God isn't diminished because society thinks that the church is no longer relevant. When we follow the Bible completely, in the same way that the apostles did, we see the same results and the same life-changing experiences with God. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. The power that was had back in the times of the Bible, in the times of the New Testament, it's the same today. It's the same all the way through, down the generations, down the ages, and it's relevant to every age and every generation. So there is no need to update the Bible to be more relevant to this day and this age. Some have tried to update the Bible in a misguided attempt to make it more acceptable to this day and to this age. But that just leads to compromise and dilution of God's power within his people. We know that the Bible is still relevant because of the complete change it brings about in sinners' hearts. 
We have ex-murderers in the church worldwide. Ex-rapists, ex-homosexuals, ex-adulterers, ex-pornographers, ex-alcoholics, ex-gamblers, ex-terrorists, ex-prostitutes, ex-wife beaters, ex-demon-possessed, ex-lame, ex-blind, ex-deaf people. No matter what is in this world, no matter what sin, no matter what holds or binds people today, we have those people in the church, but they've been delivered. They've been completely set free because of the power of God. The Bible, the church, is relevant in this world today. Every possible sin and wickedness that you could ever think of, there are people in our church worldwide that have been completely delivered and freed from the grips of that sin. Also, people who should have been scarred for life, having been on the receiving end of of sin and wickedness, are leading normal lives through the power of God. The Bible and the church are the most relevant things ever to our society, which is getting worse and worse in all of these areas and more. You see, our society turns to physicians, doctors, psychologists, and psychiatrists when they have a problem. But most of the time, they can't completely cure the patient. They just do their best to try to minimize the hurt, the pain, the anger, the rage, using what tools they have. But when Jesus walks into the room, everything changes. People who have grown back limbs and eyes, had terminal cancers just fall off their bodies, been completely healed of all sorts of sickness and illness, including mental illness. And we heard a testimony today of God's power. Just this week, God is still doing things. God is still working by His power. God is still healing by His Spirit. You can't tell me that the Bible and the church aren't relevant. You can't do that because it's obvious, blatantly obvious that they still are. It's society in this world that should be changing to be more relevant to God's ways and not the other way around. And that's the way it should be for us personally as well. We shouldn't ever change the way we act or talk in our society to fit in or to seem more relevant. Compromise should never be in our vocabulary when it comes to the things of God. There are some things that are black and white. Sin is sin, and God is God. Yes, we need to use wisdom in certain areas, but we should never agree with the world and its standards. Society in this world are not relevant to our walk with God. Say that again. Society and this world are not relevant to our walk with God. They shouldn't impact on how we live for God and the beliefs that we have. Don't be tainted by the philosophies and the beliefs of this world. Colossians 2 and 8 says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. We aren't like this world, so we should never pretend to be like this world. We're not better than this world, but Jesus has brought us out of this world and this world's systems and values. And that's something that should be precious to us. And Jesus wants to do the same for everyone else outside the church. It's not about exclusiveness. It's about following Jesus. And we can't help people to be saved by being the same as them. After all, what would they see in us that would cause them to want to be saved if we're just the same 
as them. Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is their good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has given us a promise that we will overcome this world's systems and values and not the other way around. 1 John 5 and 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 1 John 4 and 4 says, Year of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So don't be caught up in the values of our society because our society doesn't value the things of God. First John 2 and 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We can live for God in this world without compromise. Titus 2 and 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let, let's li- let our lights shine. Wherefore, Philippians 2 and 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. If I could get someone to the piano, please. Maybe you've been listening to the world too much. Maybe you've let society's values creep into your heart, into your life, into the way you think, into the way that you act. Maybe you're starting to think like this in the world and agree with things that are against God and against His Word because it seems old-fashioned, because it seems out of date, because it seems like it's not relevant to our society today. Now is the time to check your heart. God has given us a promise that we will overcome and not be overcome ourselves. It's not us that should be looking to the society, the values, the systems of this world but it should be that we look to God and His ways. Let's take hold of God and His promises. Let's listen to God's Word and His ways and not to society, to what society would tell us is right. I invite you to come and make a commitment to follow Jesus, no matter what this world or or our society would say or would have us to do. Following Jesus is not about fitting in never has been. Following Jesus is about standing out. 
And if we look, talk, and act like the rest of the world, you might as well be in the world for all the good that it will do you. Make a difference to this world and take a stand for Jesus. Who knows who you can lead to God by truly following Jesus? See, it's not society that we look to. It's not the things of this earth that we look to. It's not the way that society wants things to be done that we look to, but we look to Jesus. We're not out of date. We're current, we're relevant, and the way that God has given us in the Bible is still the way that he works through and with today. So let's not look to this world. Let's not think that our world has got it right because they're so far away from God that it's not funny. So please stand. We'll sing. But I invite you to come to the altar just to make a new commitment to refresh your mind your heart today in Jesus.